0: Drawing room over here. You made it. Oh, come on through. Do you fancy drink? What's your tipple? Wise Blood, the musical persona of Natalie Merring filters the best of pop's history into a sound that's timeless and uniquely her own. The latest album, And In the Darkness, Hearts Aglow, is the second in a trilogy of sorts following on from the critically acclaimed Titanic Risen. And Natalie is my guest. Welcome to you.
1: Hi, how are you?
0: Very well. You started out in two very different musical worlds, folk, acoustic, and experimental kind of noise. What interested you in music in the first place? And how did you sort of end up becoming Wise Blood?
1: Well, my parents really loved music. My father was always playing music. My mom played piano. So I started getting music lessons when I was really young. But I also just kind of resonated with the things that were on the radio at the time and really felt like it was this very powerful thing. Like I could almost you know, see the music or I could feel the emotions of chord changes. It felt like I had this weird sixth sense where it just had a very big effect on me an impact. Um, so it just felt very natural to get into it. And then I did a lot of singing in church and singing in choirs and, and just kind of growing up in in a church situation ended up being pretty musical as well.
0: And then on the other end of the spectrum you performed a song for the recent minions movie and not the Karen Carpenter cover that people might have expected how did that one come about
1: Well I'm friends with Jack Antonoff and he was doing the the soundtrack and and because it's all 70s you know covers the Linda Ronstadt cover he just felt really made sense with with me um, which is really flattering. I'm a huge Linda, Ronnet, Linda Ronstadt fan and so is my mother. She, she kind of raised me playing a lot of that around the house. So it just felt really natural.
0: You describe And In The Darkness, Hearts Glow" as the second part of a trilogy where we sort of find ourselves in the thick of what was once an impending kind of doom. Do you always have a trilogy in mind?
1: you know, when I started making this record, it kind of came to mind because I felt like time was so suspended. And I I didn't even know when I was making this record, if I was going to be able to tour it exactly. So I did kind of feel like it was this purgatory and this in between, and that it wasn't necessarily going to be the most extroverted record. Um, And it felt like it was a part of the process that I started with Titanic Rising.
0: I read that you you wanted something more sort of hopeful than Titanic Rising. It seems that the Times didn't agree with that plan.
1: No, no, no. (laughs) It was like Titanic Rising was like sounding the alarm and then this record is just like living amongst the blare of the alarm just going off all the time now.
0: You also write that, quote, technology is harvesting our attention away from each other. This is something that I feel strongly about as well. Uh, you know, another challenge of the modern age, really, what's your own relationship with the phones and the social media that seems to dominate our lives and also our professions, quite frankly?
1: I think that it's unfortunately more, the implications are more serious than people really want to talk about, because I think exchanging information that is actionable, information that is usable and agreed upon as being true is such a great source of agency and power for the people to have our means of exchanging information. So disrupted and manipulated is, is I think, yeah, causing a huge kind of schism in terms of, um, truth fact. And then, you know, you throw AI in there and it gets even more, more intense. So, yeah, I think we're kind of at this precipice where this technology is so powerful. And it, it it has made us less powerful. And I, I just feel like people aren't really willing to open up about that yet because somebody is making money and there are people that are benefiting. It's just very few.
0: So, so do you sort of think that AI will rob the agency of artists like yourself?
1: I think it could. I mean, it's really hard to say because I, I do believe in the higher processes of human minds. And I, I think that we have you know, kind of a better perception of, um, different dimensions just inherently, maybe biologically than we could program within a machine. Um, I I feel like the machine must be inherently flawed because we made it, you know, so it's like, it's, it's difficult, um, in terms of like, you know, I, I do believe that biology and nature and the synapses of neurons in the brain is just way more complicated than we really are able to comprehend. So, I would hope that would eclipse, um, AI, but with really popular music or or really kind of minimalist art and architecture, I think AI would probably do that really well. Um, I think AI would probably do advertisements really well. Um, but I think that a human being can tell that an advertisement is, is trite and a manipulation and, you know, a fiction. So I, I wonder if we'll be able to consciously pick up on AI fiction, um, if anything, I could see, you know, AI becoming more just like bedside manner. Like you need somebody to talk to or you need somebody to help you search this, you know, like mm. I see more of like the the AI butler. But, you know, maybe that's my archaic, you know, old school brain that's just not fully comprehending what's happening.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty glad that uh, at least for now, AI really lacks that human texture because, you know, and, and it's something so – difficult to describe that essence and I suppose that's what uh, AI and creatives kind of have so much distance between them right now the the sound of your albums really echoes back to something earlier perhaps Tin Pan Alley or Laurel Canyon pop but some of the ideas that you're engaging with feel very very current so where do you start with your writing process?
1: I kind of start with like taking a temperature on um the things that feel like need to be said. And and that changes. Sometimes it's like things about inti- intimacy need to be said, or things that have always been said need to be said again, or, you know, and then there are those moments where I'm like going to say something really specific about what's happening, um, you know, in our culture. Um, but yeah, it's kind of just feeling at, um, where I feel the most catharsis, um, where it's like, oh, if I really got to sing that or say that, It would, you know, take the confusion or or take the feeling and kind of make it a more transcendent form of expression.
0: And I gather in watching your videos that you probably feel a bit of catharsis uh, in film. There is a cinematic influence to your film clips. What are you sort of watching uh, on, on a Netflix night at home at the moment?
1: Well, I'm obsessed with Criterion. I really love the Criterion collection and what they've been they've been streaming lately. And they had a collection of erotic thrillers, which is a totally defunct genre that was like really big in the eighties and nineties. I'm sure you remember.
0: <laughs>
1: but um it's I remember the covers, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they were literally just made to like kind of bomb at the box office and then do really well at video rental stores, you know, to be rented over and over again as like, you know, softcore porn or something. But, um, but it's, it's such a beautiful thing, um, to, to watch like these, these moments in time, you know, and I I like doing a lot of research along the history. Like I love old films and I'm getting more into new films. I'm getting a little better at accessing them because I find a lot of them to be so, um, unnecessarily disturbing. Um, But I do think that that feels very innovative for people at this time and and it's like a very popular thing to do. But I'm always interested in people, um, you know, kind of pursuing more um, subtle themes or, you know, like maybe making a movie that is genuine or has themes of redemption that doesn't feel trite. Like that might be the hardest thing to do at this moment.
0: Well, speaking about subtlety or perhaps the lack of it, you, when it comes to the stage uh, element of your career, you played at Coachella. I mean, there's nothing subtle about that, is there?
1: About the festival itself?
0: The festival itself, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty gigantic. I think anytime you get that many people together, it's just going to be, you know, like very intense. Um, but, yeah, I think it maybe got a little too big, like maybe they should uh, – they should stop or something. I don't
0: know. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure to uh, get the chance to talk to you about some of these uh, ideas, AI particularly. I was fascinated to hear you talk about how that may influence creatives in the future. We're going to listen to Twin Flame by Wise Blood from the recent album and In the Darkness, Hearts Glow." Natalie Muring has been my guest. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.